0: Hello, 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 and welcome to the Katie Helper Show. So excited to be here with you. Quite a show coming down the pike. That's not bragging. I'm saying that because of the great guests that we have and the great discussions. So let's start the first half of the show, which is when Leslie Lee and I react to some interesting clips. So let's bring in Leslie Lee, host of the Struggle Session podcast. Leslie.
1: Hey, Katie. How's it going? Good. You? I'm doing good. Doing good. Katie, I mean, the Katie Helper Show bump. Last time we were talking, Vince McMahon was still publicly a part of the WWE. Now he has retired, allegedly uh, from the company. And I think it really is uh, due to our discussion, uh, discussion on uh, the issues last time and the clip you posted about it.
0: Wow, we got that Katie Helper show
1: bump. I mean, we took down the billionaire. The Katie Helper show took down the billionaire. Now, of course, he's still running things like from home because. His uh, daughter and his dipshit son-in-law have been promoted in his, basically in his stead. And I think they're still probably going to text him and ask him what what to do. But publicly, he's not uh, part of the company now.
0: Well, did you also write a piece on that yet? Did you publish your piece on it?
1: Oh, I published one piece on it. I'm still working on something for uh, both Jacobin and Daily Beast. And this is really deep. It's really deep. I'm going to be doing a lot more on it. You may be hearing about this. I, I don't want to say too much on it, but it's like it's just this a huge story, and no one covers it because they all have media deals with the with the WWE. So it's like nobody at NBC or any of their subsidiaries is going to cover it. Nobody at Fox is going to go too hard on it. Real the thing that actually uh, probably did get him to publicly step down is that Real Sports was going to start digging into this. And real sports are old enemies of McMahon. Real sports uh, is a show on HBO uh, with Brian Gumble, And of course, HBO does not have a TV deal with WWE. They have a deal with AEW, their rival. So it's like, you know, it, it is like, a. and I mentioned uh, last time, CNN was like the only major news show that had done a couple of pieces on the McMahon Story and they're por- part of the same umbrella of discovery warner i'm sure as discovery id will probably be having uh some kind of true crime special about vince mcmahon coming soon and that's because and that's partially because hey they have a competitive product that they have to sell uh towards wwe so it's like the end of and that company is owned by another billionaire so you know vince mcmahon getting out there you know us getting vince out there you know it's pretty cool but it's just too bad that it requires the help of like media conglomerates looking out for their own uh, pocketbooks for basically for journalists to do their job.
0: Wow, Well, I'm looking forward to more of your research into this.
1: Yeah, I did publish one piece that basically says one of the executives uh, at WB who's been the executive producer of the show for like 40 years, which is unheard of because like no one produces the same TV show for years. That doesn't make any sense. Like if you're actually that good, someone else will hire you. He's really close to the uh, Vince McMahon personally, which is why he has this job. And he has a lot of stroke and pull behind the scenes. And I broke this story that uh, he used to, he said that one of he thought one of the female wrestlers was not attractive enough uh, to be world champion. Um, Back in the day, and she be, her name is Becky Lynch, as you can see on the picture on the screen, uh, quite quite an attractive woman. But that's besides the point. Like you don't have to be conventionally attractive to be a world champion wrestler. And certainly, she's incredibly talented. She herself kind of made a subtweet about this article that I made, where she says, "You know, I haven't, I wasn't made in a factory. I haven't gotten by on my looks. I've gotten by on my talent." And there are reports that that guy Kevin Dunn is on his way out of the company, packing his bags.
0: That is impressive. Impressive. Just journalism. And yeah. That's journalism for you. Well, guys, we're going to be looking at some headlines, some stories. This was our very important pop culture slash sports update that, uh, I really am very grateful for, because I think it's important to dabble in all areas and bring you guys a nice, well-rounded show. But I also wanted to let people know that we are doing a call-in, uh, Ben Norton, who's the guest, who's our our guest coming on later from multipolarista, multipolarista, multipolarista. He's going to be joining the show, and we're doing a call-in after where We'll take your mess, your calls. Also, uh, Esha uh, Kirshna Swami is going to join that, and we had her on last week, so she'll be taking some of your questions over there. So make sure that after this this YouTube uh, live stream, you come over and you join us on the call-in, and the link is in the description. So let's see. Let's start. Let's look at the news, um, Leslie. I wanted to to show you this tweet by Joe Biden. I thought you'd have some thoughts on this tweet. So this is from Joe Biden saying, "You can't be pro police and pro insurrection."
1: <laughs> how about neither? Do, do I have to? Do you have to be one or the other? How about how about not, none of the above?
0: <laughs> yeah, none of the above. But also. There were police involved in the insurrection.
1: Yes, there were police involved in the insurrection, including the ones that were allegedly stopping it. Because, they, again, we, we talked about this when it happens. Like, they just let them walk in. Like, they were just milling about walking around. Like, it wasn't some big, intense thing in the moment. I cannot believe that Democrats are still talking about this or think they can hang their head on this. Everybody's going to be ready for an insurrection pretty soon. Everybody's gonna be ready for insurrection pretty soon. Do they, do they think one six is bad? It's gonna get worse. I I I don't know what they what planet they're on. I don't know, okay. Maybe maybe they got all have bunkers in New Zealand and they're gonna be able to get there really quickly or something. But man, like if they think one six is bad and they're still worried about it, they have no idea what's coming.
0: So that's Biden's. Uh, so a lot of people responded to that tweet from Biden by pointing out that there was involvement.
1: There were cops on both sides. and Yeah. And again, the only response they have, they had to the one six, you know, inquiries or whatever is they just gave the cops more money. Like they gave like a like billion dollars to the D.C. police, which is going to be used to abuse uh, black people in D.C., not take on these dents dentists from Oklahoma that flew up for one weekend.
0: Aye. All right. What else we got? We got some bad news, but you probably all know this. I hope you're all sitting down, but President Biden has COVID. Let's hear what he has to say about how he's doing.
2: I'm feeling good. My voice is still raspy. Uh, I've had uh, every morning, every afternoon, I mean, it's going to every evening. I get a full burn series of tests, everything from the temperature to oxygen, the oxygen in my my blood to my pulse to, I mean, just across the board. And so far, everything's good.
0: So that's Joe telling us about how well he's looked after. And you know what, Leslie? Um, I'm going to share with you something that his spokeswoman announced in a statement. Consistent with White House protocol for positive COVID cases, which goes above and beyond CDC guidance, he will continue to work in isolation until he tests negative. Once he tests negative, he will return to in-person work. Now, that is so great. You know why that's so great?
1: Oh, why is that great, gay?
0: Because he's not treated like a normal person. Oh, no. If he were a normal person, he'd have to go back after five days. Yeah. But yeah. he gets to, to wait until he tests negative. Now get back to work. You got to get back to work unless you're a special, important person.
1: Yeah, but if you're a special, super important person for everyone's safety, you have to stay away a little bit longer.
0: So the riffraff, get back to work. Joe Biden, take your time. Make sure you're testing fully negatively. Then you get back to work. It's just, they don't even realize, like, I guess they, they. do you think that they think that people are just so used to this two-tiered system, whether it's healthcare or justice, that they won't be upset? or notice that he's getting better treatment than they are? Or do you think they think that people are okay with it because he's the president?
1: I think they know that most people who like him will just defend it reflexively. It's like, yeah, and, and that'll be enough to, for it not to be a controversy because everybody has been kind of brainwashed into thinking that Joe, uh, Joe Biden is the only thing standing between them and fascism. So they're willing to, it, they will say, oh yes, he, no, he does need to be protected. He actually should um, get all the special medicines and the you know infusions of you know a uh, blood uh, that we can't get in order to live. Because he's the only he's the most important person in the world. Uh, he's the only thing standing between us and um, fascism or Roe v. Uh, Roe v. Wade being overturned.
0: Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. Or bad economy.
1: Yeah, bad comment. Or
0: palling around with the Saudi prince.
1: COVID. He's the only. He's really the only thing standing between us and COVID. That's why he got it. That's how Joe Biden got COVID. He was literally standing between us and the virus. And of course, you're going to get it if you're protecting America.
0: It got him right in the face. COVID was blowing, blowing at America, and Biden stood in front of it.
1: Hey, you what, man? I, I saw that COVID, man. And I I just said, hey, man, cut it out, man. Come on, what are you doing?
0: That's a malarkey. Come on, man. So, all right. That's that's Joe Biden uh, getting much better protection and uh, treatment than anyone else who has to earn a living.
1: Yeah, you know, he's got like the T virus being injected him in, into him by the Umbrella Corporation. Like we don't know what's happening over there in the White House. I just hope it um, turns out the way that uh, Kamala Harris hopes it actually turns out. And I'll say, I'll, I'll that's all I'll say.
0: Oh, God. But then what's going to happen? It'll get funnier. Things will get funnier. I guess so. Let's see. You know, when life imitates art and art imitates life, let's take a look at this clip. We're going to see some art, then we're going to see some life. And this is interesting because it's art imitating life and then it's life imitating art. And just so everyone knows, this is from an act. This is actually from Don't Look Up, the film by Anna McKay, written based on a David Sirota story.
1: And I gotta say, I'm not a big fan of Jennifer Lawrence. I think this is probably her best, like, this is, like, her best performance and the best moment of that performance. So, uh, kudos to her. I talked a lot of shit about her, so I
0: gotta give her her props. You did not like silver linings? No, not really. We'll talk about this another time, okay. Are, are
3: uh, Are we not being clear? We're trying to tell you that the entire planet is about to be destroyed.
0: Okay. Um, well, it's um, you know, just something we do around here. You
3: know, we just keep the bad news light
0: Oh, you see John you're outside enjoying Beautiful. the sunshine.
3: It's not too it's, hot it's, is it? No, it's it's absolutely lovely. It's what 20 degrees out here. It's perfect But um on a serious note folks, um by early next week You can scrap 20 degrees. It could well be 40 degrees. I think There will be hundreds, if not thousands, of excess deaths early next week. The charts that I can see in front of me are frightening. So we all like nice weather, but this will not be nice weather. This will be potentially lethal weather for a couple of days. It'll be brief, but it'll be brutal.
2: So, you know, we can... Oh, yep.
0: uh, so, uh, this is, so, John, I want us to be happy about the weather and every single, I don't know whether something's happened to meteorologists to make you all a little bit fatalistic and, and <laughs> harbingers of doom. Because all of the broadcasts, particularly on, on the BBC, every time I've turned on anyone's talking about the weather, they're saying that there's going to be tons of fatalities. But haven't we always had hot weather, John? I mean, wasn't the 76, the summer of 76? That was as hot as this, wasn't it?
3: Uh, No. Uh, And, you know, we are seeing more and more records, more and more frequently and more and more severely. Uh, So, yeah, some people always hop back to the summer of 76, which was a freak event 40 odd years ago, over 40 years ago. Uh, But heat waves are becoming more extreme. This is yet another one which is coming down the tracks towards us. And, you know, I don't think we should.
0: You really can't make that up.
1: You really can. I, it took a second, but you re- do realize that that's like the Fox News of the UK. I think, like when she starts like railing against the me- the meteor- meteorologists
0: meteorologist who are who yeah. have
1: become doom and gloom, it's like oh, she's this is like you know the Fox and Friends of the UK. But yeah, still pretty like shocking, <laughs> baffling.
0: I love the idea that it's like, what is up with you guys? What has happened to all of you to turn you into such downers? Like oh, I wonder what it is. Could it be the thing that they're reporting on—the actual weather? Won't people be, be happy
1: that? about the weather?
0: I know. John, I couldn't believe John, it. John. John. John happy. Oh, the doom and gloom. Yeah. It was, it's really quite ridiculous. So uh, we have another clip, another weather-related clip for you guys that, uh, let's see, I'm going to just put it in, Brad, I didn't have this one ahead of time, so I'm going to put in the private chat. So let's take a look at this.
4: Go on as we are going on now. What happens to our planet? Does it, re- does it warm to the point where we see these frequent uh, extreme weather events, which are really dangerous? So what you have to remember is some extreme events will get worse. So for instance, we'll see more heat waves. But remember, we'll also see fewer cold waves, and that matter because about half a million people die from heat. But four and a half million people die from cold every year on the planet. So certainly for the foreseeable future for the next decade or two, we'll actually see fewer people dying as temperatures go up, but eventually that will change. And that's true for a lot of things. So there is sense in trying to tackle global warming, but there's no sense in trying to spend $5 trillion. Remember, that's the McKinsey estimate of how much we'll have to spend every year to go net zero. For the US, the price by mid-century will be more than $10,000 per person per year. You're not going to have that. Yep. You're not going to see people accept that. They're going to vote those people out of office, and then we'll both have wasted money and actually not get the solution.
0: That guy is like a fossil fuel tool, first of all. Bjorn, his first name is Bjorn uh, Lundberg. I'll have to do a deep dive into him or have someone on to talk about him, but he's He's absolutely ridiculous. I love what he does there. He pretends that he's talking about saving human lives. And then he's just like describing reality and science and climate change, but he's just making a value judgment. He's like, people, it's too much money. People aren't going to vote for that. But pretending he's talking about science.
1: Yeah. Like when he says, well, uh, 4 million die of cold every year, half a million die of heat. If it warms up, we'll get less cold deaths have you actually crunched the numbers on what that is? Yeah. And like, like, and like, that doesn't mean, and he also has to admit that eventually this balance will tip to the other way. So what's the plan for that? Like he says, it will, it's going to cost too much. And if you spend all this money and then they get voted out, then you won't have solved the problem. So what's the alternative, not spending the money, because you think, like, his actual argument is, like, well, if we start doing something now and our plan going forward, eventually it will be so expensive that we'll stop it. And? <laughs> like, well, like, what's the, what, is there another option than do, I guess, doing nothing from the start is, because then those people won't get voted out, I guess, is the important thing uh, to remember.
0: That guy is, he's a gem. His bio is really interesting. He's constantly contradicting himself. Did you notice he was wearing short sleeves? Wonder why that is. (laughs) Pretty hot. Pretty hot to be wearing short sleeves on Fox News, huh?
1: Yeah, like that's not professional.
0: That's not professional.
1: For a guy named Bjorn? Come on.
0: Yeah, I know. Come on. Seriously, yeah. Um, Okay, so let's look at another clip. And this one, we have to be somewhat respectful in our response, Leslie. It's from some friend of the show, Ro But he said some stuff that someone put in, actually asked about in the chat. And I didn't want to show it because Ro's been on the show. But I feel like we got to respond to it. So this is Ro Khanna on CNN being asked about Nancy Pelosi.
2: You know, the White House is trying to downplay the risk of a recession here in the United States. Is that the right message when, according to recent CNN polling, 64% of Americans believe the U.S. is already in a recession? Well, if the blunt
5: truth is, no one can predict exactly what's going to happen with the future economy. But I can tell you what we can do to lessen the chances of a recession. First, we need to make more stuff in America and produce here. That would help in lowering prices and less likely to have Fed take drastic interest rate actions. And second, we can lower prices by passing prescription drug reform by having uh, a export ban on gasoline. So let's focus on what we can do to minimize the chances.
2: White House officials say it's up to Congress to pass legislation right now that will wind up helping American families with these high prices, the result of inflation. How much can you really do in the House of Representatives? We could
5: pass tomorrow the prescription drug bill to lower prescription costs. We can pass a a bill that will tax the wealthy. That would help in lowering our deficit and help make it that the Fed doesn't have to ask, act as drastically. And this bipartisan innovation bill, that's going to make semiconductor manufacturing here, that's going to help because there are a lot of products that are reliant on overseas semiconductors that jacks up the price. So the president is right that we can act and we should act, we must act. That doesn't mean we're going to prevent inflation or a recession, but we give ourselves the best shot
2: but if there's a recession and inflation continues to grow, how serious of a, of a problem is this for Democrats coming up in the midterm elections in November?
5: Oh, well, obviously it's a problem. I mean, it's always still the economy, stupid, but I think what the Democrats should focus on is our agenda of making things in this country. For 40 years, we let production go offshore. We deindustrialized this country. People are saying, we can't even make masks here. We can't build semiconductors here. What's going on? If the Democrats have an agenda of making things here, reindustrializing America, that's going to lower prices. It's going to be good for jobs. And it's our best shot in the midterms and beyond because it's the right economic message.
2: On a different issue, Congressman, while I have you, uh, President Biden has said the U.S. military believes a Taiwan visit by the House Speaker Nancy Pelosi uh, is, quote, not a good idea right now. You sit on the Armed Services Committee. Should she call off this possible trip to Taiwan? No, she should
5: not. I respect Speaker Pelosi. I mean, we're not going to let the Chinese Communist Party dictate where the Speaker of the House should go. Uh, Taiwan is an economic partner with us. That doesn't mean that her going there is somehow not recognizing the one-China policy. She should absolutely go and we need to speak out uh, on human rights issues in China, and we need to speak out about the trade deficit in China. So I fully support her
2: going. But is it worth potentially, God forbid, provoking some sort of military response from the Chinese? They should realize that that would be
5: the worst thing they could do. I mean, they've seen this president our country's resolve uh, in Ukraine uh, with rallying NATO, They've seen the sanctions on Russia. I mean, they would cripple their entire economy. They are so dependent on the United States in terms of uh, the trade that we have. So we shouldn't allow them to bluff and dictate to America, the greatest nation in the world, where our Speaker of the House should travel. I mean, who are they to say that
2: Speaker Pelosi shouldn't go to Taiwan? Congressman Ro thanks as usual for joining us.
0: All right, Leslie, you got to take it away.
1: Greatest country in the world. (laughs)
0: I mean, who are
1: you, who is fooled by any of that? Like, who is fooled by like y'all don't even take on like the Republicans in this country. Like, no one's yeah. gonna care. No one's gonna care about your tough t- talk towards China. Nobody takes it seriously. Communist China, Chinese government. I mean, come on, come on. Like for real, like like, and this is what they're doing. And uh, like the stuff, the answers about the economy is like, oh, we're going to lower prescription drug prices. You've been saying that for 40 fucking years. No one buys that. And like, I don't know. People have this prescription. If you have to buy prescription drugs, it's a big problem for you. But that's not like maybe not most people that have like a crippling problem with their prescription drugs issue. So that's not like a big that's not as catch-all for, like, everybody who can't afford, like, eggs at the grocery store. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's a very, like, uh, like that's an important issue, but that's not nearly, is necessary, but completely insufficient, and, like, insufficient to the point of, like, silliness. It's like, that is, like, if we're having a recession, we have to do a lot of things, a lot of big things, some of the things that he already promised to do, like, when he came into office, but, I mean, none of that is happening, none of that. Like, none of the Democrats seem very interested in making it happen. They're just like trying to say, like, well, we're trying and we have this or that plan, and we have this plan, that plan. It was supposed to be build back better, but they couldn't get that done. Oh, we didn't mention that Manchin has COVID. So, what kind of like, if Manchin goes down, God, God forbid, God forbid, who is the next senator that they're going to pick to play his role? As the rotating villain.
0: Well, we got cinema.
1: Yeah, we already have cinema, but I think they need two. It's like the Sith from Star Wars. It's always like you—you must always have two, because if it's just one person, it seems kind of ridiculous.
0: Maybe you could get Coons, the other guy, uh, the the Delaware senator.
1: Whenever there's like a contest, because I know those guys, whoever that person is, they get to like leave and take a bunch of like lobbying gigs and shit, and work in private industry. They get to make a lot of money. After They're probably fighting for it right now.
0: We'll figure it out. Don't worry, guys. They can make it happen.
1: I am imagining a scenario. Like, what could happen with Pelosi if she goes to Taiwan? Are we talking, like, some sort of Mission Impossible White House down type deal? Are they going to have to send, one like, one of the real Chris's that we have? You know, Chris Prank. Chris Pratt, they play all those, Chris Hemsworth, they play all those SEAL Team 6 characters. Are we going to have to send them to, like, rescue Nancy Pelosi uh, in Taiwan? That 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 would be interesting. That would be fun. That would be fun. I, I, if everything turns out fine for Pelosi, obviously. I don't want any it will to come to her.
0: No, of course, yeah. We could do something with the, she'll get caught, you know, she'd get busted, like, looking in a refrigerator for ice cream or something. That would be her, her, her big undoing. <laughs> that's how they catch her, yeah. Mahmoud Maradi says, if Rokhana spoke while my eyes were closed, I would swear I was listening to any standard neocon.
1: Well, that is the new Democrat language for some reason. to Tough, t- t- and like, th- the mention of Ukraine, that's still going on. Like, what, what are you talking about? That is not something that's been resolved with a great victory. For Biden, I don't know why Why you even bring... Like, you've just gotten us embroiled in another proxy war that doesn't have any sign of ending anytime soon. And what about all the other wars that are going on? Katie, do they ever talk about any of the other wars no. that we have? Like, ever?
0: There's only so many hours in the day. We can't name all of our wars all the time.
1: Yeah, I mean, Ro Khanna, he has to get out there and spend his time defending Nancy Pelosi for some reason. like. I don't know. I don't know. What is the point? Like do they give is Nancy Pelosi going to give him like a pat on the head for being a good little democrat? I don't know. I don't
0: know. Well, Leslie, thank you so much for helping me get through these.
1: No, thank you so much for having me. As always happy uh, to be here. Thank you so much for helping me get rid of uh, Kevin Dunn and Vince McMahon as a journalist just speaking the truth.
0: Yeah, just speaking the truth. Yeah. We got to take down more villains.
1: Oh, yes. Absolutely. All right. Thank y'all so much. Check out Struggle Session. You can find us at patreon.com slash struggle session and sesh.plus. We just had an episode with Matt Kr- Chrisman of Chapo Trap House, where we talk about a couple of John Carpenter films. We also have Ooh, uh, ep- yeah, we, we a bunch of fun stuff. We have tons and tons of cool episodes about movies, books. All sorts of good stuff. We had we actually did a double feature on Nixon. We did uh Oliver Stone's Nixon and uh, Secret Honor um with uh, Aaron Good of uh who is a he was a great uh writer and podcaster. And we got really deep and he knows Oliver Stone a bit. So we got really deep into the Nixon uh, double feature. Awesome.
0: Well, Leslie, see you soon, okay? All right,
1: take it easy. Peace.
0: Thanks. You too. Bye. All right, guys, that was the wonderful Leslie Lee. Love talking to him. And we are bringing on the next guest, Ben Norton of Multipolarista, Multipolarista. Ben, you've been doing great work at your new site, Multi Multipolarista. It's one of those things you have to say in the Spanish accent, right?
6: Well, I mean, you can just say Multipolarista. I mean, multipolarista, of course, one of the reasons yeah. that I, I picked that name is because, because I do coverage in both English and Spanish. My Most of the videos are in English, but... A lot of the articles are in Spanish. But yeah, I mean, it's like uh Sandinista. You can say Sandinista or you people say San. like people anglicize it, whatever.
0: Yeah, but Sandinista, unlike multipolarista, although the night is young or the website is young, has become part of, real part of the English, voca- you know, has become anglicized. But you're right. You know what? Who am I to doubt multipolarista as being soon as important and relevant as the Sandinistas in the English language. So
6: it has been well, I'm not in any way <laughs> claiming that, but it has already become a point of attack uh by people who like love Ukraine and love the Ukraine war and think like Zelensky is hot. Like those kinds of people will use multipolarista as a criticism. Like the the Ukraine flag emoji, globe emoji people. Basically, these people who, who love the U.S. empire, but have like a social democratic aesthetic.
0: I'm thinking of a few people who fit into that label. But Ben, I want to have you to talk about lots of different things. But I thought that we could start out talking about Saudi Arabia, because we actually did a show on that last week. And one of the things that you did a deep dive into was kind of the real reasons that Biden went to Saudi Arabia. And through this deep dive, which I recommend, you also get into the characters of Mohammed bin Salman and Jamal Khashoggi. So tell us why, in your opinion, Biden really did what he did in Saudi Arabia.
6: Well, everything that the U.S. government is doing these days is because of the new Cold War. This is something I know that, that you and some of your guests have talked about, Katie. We're clearly in a new Cold War, the second Cold War. There's differences, of course, between the second Cold War and the first Cold War. One of the differences is that it's not only against Russia, but also against China. So wh- when we see the U.S. government make any major foreign policy decision, it's, it's all about this new Cold War. Before I came on, you were talking about Nancy Pelosi's trip to Taiwan, which is extremely provocative. It's essentially one step before the US recognizing Taiwan as an independent country, despite the fact that when the US normalized relations with the People's Republic in, ni- in 1972, it recognized that Taiwan is part of China. That was the only reason that China agreed to normalize relations with the Richard Nixon administration, the so-called three communiques, these agreements that were signed in the 1970s, made it very clear that the US recognizes Taiwan as part of China. So taking a, a visit only to Taiwan, not to the mainland, and meeting with Taiwanese officials is effectively saying that the US recognizes Taiwan as a separate country, extremely provocative. So that action can't be separated from the proxy war on Russia that we see in Ukraine. The US is fighting until the last Ukrainian in order to bleed Russia. We saw Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin and former Raytheon lobbyist. He said that very clearly, that the US goal is to weaken Russia, as he said. And then finally, this trip to Saudi Arabia, it has to be situated in the same context, right? There are a lot of people talking about oil and certainly oil is a part of this. Oil prices are very high. And one of the main reasons that inflation is really hitting the US hard and the entire world pretty hard is because of very high commodity prices. It's not only because of energy prices, it's also because of the sanctions on Russia and the war in Ukraine. It's also because of COVID and supply chain issues. But one of the most important factors for high inflation is energy costs. So it's it's certainly true that one of the reasons that Biden went to Saudi Arabia was to try to pressure Saudi Arabia to increase its oil production which would increase the supply of oil in the global market, which would mean that the price of oil would go down, which would help to contain inflation. But that's actually not the main reason. Even The Guardian, you know, certainly not a, a an anti-imperialist media outlet, The Guardian published an article that was based on discussions with Biden administration top-level officials. And they acknowledged that the Biden administration's thinking was they're trying to make sure that Saudi Arabia stays firmly in the US camp and doesn't lean toward China and Russia. Because what we're seeing around the world right now is many countries are not going along, especially with this this conflict against Russia, right? So the US has been pressuring countries with with which it has very good uh, relations and which you could consider allies, like India, for instance, or Mexico the U.S. has been trying to pressure them to put sanctions on Russia, and they have refused to do so because they continue to buy uh, cheap uh, cheap oil and gas and wheat and fertilizer from Russia at prices that are below market value. So the U.S. is trying to pressure all these countries that are traditionally its allies, like the Gulf monarchies, to make sure that they stay firmly in its camp. And Mohammed bin Salman I mean, he's a a brutal figure. I'm not in any way, you know, praising him or saying that he's like, you know, sticking it to U.S. imperialism. That's certainly not what's happening. Of course, the U.S. is still supporting Saudi Arabia in this borderline genocidal war in Yemen. They've killed more than 377,000 Yemenis according to the United Nations, which is probably a conservative estimate. So I'm not in any way saying that like MBS is like a a great anti-imperialist leader, but like many leaders around the world right now, MBS is trying to play the East against the West, right? Erdogan in Turkey, which is a member of NATO, is doing exactly the same. Erdogan just took a trip to Iran and met with the leader of Iran and Vladimir Putin in Tehran, which is, of course, like, you know, the neocons nightmare. So all these countries are basically trying to play the U.S. on one side against Saudi, excuse me, against Russia and China on the other side to do what's in their best economic interests. And Saudi Arabia is a very clear example of that. We've seen that Mohammed bin Salman has, forged pretty close relations with Russia. He's been buying Russian weapons and military equipment. He's been buying Russian oil, ironically, because Russia is selling Saudi Arabia oil at contracts that are below market value. And then Saudi Arabia is selling its own oil in the spot market and making more money. So it's actually profiting because it's importing the oil it uses from Russia. So basically Biden went to Saudi Arabia and basically was telling Riyadh, look, you've been a traditional US ally since the 1930s. You need to be firmly in our camp. You have to pick a side, stop cozying up to China and Russia. Basically, we're in a new cold war and we're waging a war pretty much directly right now on Russia. I mean, the US has troops and include, or not troops, the US has special operations forces and CIA agents inside Ukraine on the front lines of the fighting. So it's, it's pretty much as close as it can get to a a conventional war with Russia without boots on the ground. So the, the U.S. is going around the world and telling countries, look, you have to be firmly in our camp. We're not going to allow you to keep playing both sides like this.
0: And tell us more about Mohammed bin Salman and Khashoggi, because one of the interesting things, and again, you made it very clear, but no one is saying MBS. Mohammed bin Salman is a good guy. No one's saying that there's anything inherently at all progressive about trying to be strategic and playing Russia and the U.S. against each other. But there are some interesting dynamics that are at play also with even with Khashoggi and bin Salman. Yeah,
6: I mean, people need to recognize that U.S. imperialism is in a fundamental crisis right now. Obviously, it's not going to disappear overnight. It's going to be probably decades of decline, even longer. I'm not saying the U.S. empire is going to you know just crash overnight. But a lot of countries that have traditionally been major U.S. allies are trying to diversify their international relations. And this is—we I think we're probably going to talk about like this concept of multipolarity that we're clearly seeing in the world right now. And Saudi Arabia is one of many examples of that. I mentioned Mexico. I mean, Mexico has a huge border with the U.S. Mexico's largest trading partner is the U.S., and yet Mexico has continued to try to improve its relations and expand its relations with both Russia and China. Argentina, which is a major country in Latin America, just the leader Alberto Fernandez just visited uh, Russia and China and joined the Belt and Road Initiative of China. Uh, We've seen that Brazil is part of the BRIC system, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa. So the point is that a lot of these countries, even if they have good relations with the US like Brazil, they're also trying to and boost their relations with other major powers because it's in their interest, right? This isn't to say that like, you know, MBS is a good guy. It's certainly not to praise for instance, like Narendra Modi in India, who's a horrible far right leader from the BJP party, which is, you know, very Islamophobic and fascistic. So again, we should be able to have a sophisticated, mature understanding of geopolitics. And that doesn't mean that we're endorsing people like Erdogan and Modi, right? And MBS but we should understand what they're doing and what political decisions they're making and why they're motivated to do it. And what we're seeing basically is that economically in particular, China and to a lesser extent Russia are offering a lot of opportunities for countries, especially in the global south. China is the largest economy in the world in terms of purchasing power parity, which is a better measurement of the size of an economy rather than GDP, because GDP measures things just in in dollars and of course, China doesn't use dollars, whereas if you actually measure based on purchasing power of the Chinese currency, the Yuan, you see that the Chinese economy is actually, according to that metric, significantly larger than the US and continues to grow. Russia is also a major powerhouse in the export of oil and gas and fertilizer and wheat. So a lot of countries are doing business with them, including you know, Indonesia, India, Iran, the Philippines, Uh, Mexico, Brazil, um, uh, countries in Africa, South Africa, Ethiopia, Zimbabwe, like these are very big countries with substantial populations. So in the case of Saudi Arabia, I mean, I talked about what Saudi Arabia is trying to do, trying to balance the West against Russia and China. As for the situation with Jamal Khashoggi, I mean, we should also be realistic and understand who this guy was. This isn't, again, I mean, I've been reporting on the war in Yemen many years since the very beginning in 2015. Like when I I used to be at this media outlet salon and my editor would always be like, you want to write another article about Yemen? Like, so no, I don't need to show people that like, I, I hate Saudi Arabia. It's an awful regime, but we should also understand that just because someone is portrayed as like a so-called dissident doesn't mean that they're good. Right? So Jamal Khashoggi people don't know, he was a columnist. He was not a journalist. Nor
0: does it mean that they should be like dismembered. Yeah,
6: obviously not, that's brutal. I mean, it's it's awful, it's a horrible crime. But we should also understand that just because he was killed by a bad guy doesn't make him a good guy. He was also a bad guy. Jamal Khashoggi going back to the 1980s was a CIA asset. In the 1980s, he made his name when he was in his thirties by working for a Saudi regime propaganda outlet called the Arab News and he was in Afghanistan, and he was working with Saudi intelligence and the CIA, and he was the coordinator for the Arab Mujahideen, right? So these are the forces that were backed by the CIA and Saudi Arabia and Pakistani intelligence, ISI, to wage a proxy war against the Soviet Union. And basically they gave birth to Al Qaeda and the Taliban. They were Islamist extremists, Uh, of course, Ronald Reagan invited them to the White House. Margaret Thatcher visited some Mujahideen camps and called them freedom fighters, but they were far-right Islamic extremists. And Khashoggi got his start working with the Arab Mujahideen, the Arab volunteers who joined this, the Afghan Mujahideen. And he was also a close ally of Osama bin Laden. All of this is very well firmly established. David Ignatius in the Washington Post admitted that Jamal Khashoggi was a close friend of Osama bin Laden. and Also, Jamal Khashoggi was a a longtime member of the Muslim Brotherhood. And this isn't to do like some Islamophobic conspiracy theory, but we should understand like the internal conflicts within Muslim majority countries. So Saudi Arabia is Wahhabi. The official state ideology of Saudi Arabia is this certain kind of very extreme austere Sunni Islam that's called Wahhabism. And they see the Muslim Brotherhood as one of their main adversaries, one of their main threats. So Khashoggi represented a different political alliance in the region. He was working closely with the Qatar Foundation, which was writing his articles at the Washington Post because he didn't speak English very well. He was also clearly coordinating with the Turkish government, um, not to make things personal, but his, his wife is Turkish and is closely linked to the Erdogan government and the AKP party, which is the Muslim Brotherhood affiliate in Turkey. So Khachoggi represented a certain faction of the Saudi royal family, and that faction happened to be the faction that was most loyal to the CIA, and specifically Muhammad bin Nayef. So very brief history here. So Mohammed bin Salman is the crown prince of Saudi Arabia. He's not the king, but the king, Salman, his father, has very bad dementia. Everyone knows that. I mean, what's funny is in the US, Biden suffers from the same, but... He's still, we still pretend like he's in charge, unlike King Salman. So in Saudi Arabia, the, the lineage of the crown is king, second would be crown, crown prince, and then third would be deputy crown prince. So when King Salman came in, because King Abdullah died, King Abdullah died uh, eight years ago now, seven years ago. And then when King Salman came in, He made his son, Muhammad bin Salman, deputy crown prince, which made him third in line for the throne. So what Muhammad bin Salman did is he did like this very authoritarian purge, and he purged his cousin, Muhammad bin Nayef, who was supposed to be the next in line for the throne, the second. And Muhammad bin Nayef was a close ally of the CIA. He had been the spokesman for the head of Saudi intelligence, Turkey bin Faisal, and he speaks fluent English. He studied in the US. He was closely, he lived in Virginia for a while, CIA headquarters. He was basically a close friend of John Brennan, right? John Brennan was former CIA director and John Brennan spent a lot of his time in Saudi Arabia, working with people like Turkey bin Faisal and Mohammed bin Nayef. They represented the very pro U.S. wing of the Saudi royal family. So Mohammed bin Salman purged his cousin, and then he like imprisoned a bunch of people in like the Hilton Hotel, and like some people died in mysterious uh, helicopter crashes. You know, this kind of traditional like authoritarian purge of all your rivals. And then he made himself crown prince and is now the de facto leader of Saudi Arabia.
0: Well, Ben, this has been amazing. And guys, uh, if you're watching this live, you're in luck. If you're watching this later and you want to see this whole stream, which you definitely will want to, because we talk about so many fascinating things. Um, Fascists, Japanese fascists, uh, NATO Nazis. uh, Oh, my.
6: Well, Katie, you should throw in one other fun, fun, not so fun, but interesting detail about that. The Moonies. You know who the Moonies are, right? Yes. With this freak show we're talking about of Nazis and fascists. Well, for people who don't know, the Moonies are this right-wing Korean cult that is very closely linked to the Republican Party and the CIA. They're behind the Washington Times newspaper. This crazy cult, they're like the Korean version of the Iranian MEK. And the reason this, this crazy Japanese guy assassinated Shinzo Abe. Obviously, I'm not in any way endorsing it. I mean, that should be clear. But the reason that he endorsed, or the reason he assassinated Shinzo Abe is because this Japanese guy's mother, had she had donated all of her life savings and her husband who died, he had, uh, he had life insurance. She donated all of the money, which was nearly a million dollars, to this Korean right-wing cult, the Moonies, which closely works with the right-wing government in Japan, the LDP. So, I mean, we can also throw in this crazy Korean cult backed by the CIA. I mean, that's one of the fact that Shinzo Abe worked closely with this Korean cult that the shooter's mother donated all her money to, that's what motivated him to kill Shinzo Abe. So it's a freak show all the way down.
0: So many freak shows, so little time. Thanks again for listening to The Katie Helper Show. To hear the rest of that discussion, please join the Patreon at patreon.com slash the Katie Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Katie Show. If you like the show, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. And as always, we remind you that this show could not happen without the support of our listeners. Our show is produced by me, Katie Helper. Nick Palm, Brad Bloom is our audio engineer and an associate producer on the show. Our researcher is Joshua Bregman. And our theme song is by the band Cordova. See you next time.